Welcome to episode 15 of D&D After Dark's Victorian horror campaign, Dark Was the Night. There we go. Jules Walker. As you... depart from the Ten Bells in Whitechapel, um, you find that a... You don't want me to roll stealth or anything on that? Oh, no. No need. Okay. No okay. need. No, not from this interaction. Okay. Um, no, the uh, Mr. C and his compatriots are more than willing to not pressure anyone to be present for anything that they are not willing for. Um, it is by no means a, a permanent closing, um, as Patrick is also representing your interests mm -hmm. there. No, the only type of stealth you would be required to make on this journey home would be if you plan on sticking to the thoroughfares, the main streets, as while it is at night, you are without your guardian. Um. A deception check or a performance check will also suffice if you wish to just go about your business. Yeah, I'm just going to go about my business Very well. and, and make my way back home. And if, if any constable's like, hey, why aren't you without your guardian? I'm going to mm -hmm. be like, he had some business. It's late. I'm just headed back to the flat. Which yeah, is totally. Great. Um, in that case, uh, go ahead and just roll me a, a d20. Okay. Don't, don't add anything to it. Ten. Ten? Um, anytime that there is a constable in your path, uh, it is not directly in your path, and they are, you're just another face. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very late at night at this point in time, because I believe you all didn't even arrive at the Ten Bells until close to 10 o'clock at night, or perhaps it was 9 o'clock at night. I don't remember, because we went to, I think we went yeah, you, to Big, Big Mouth at 7.30. Yep. Okay. yep, 7.30, and that was uh, a little bit ways away. Um, okay. So getting to Whitechapel then at that gotcha. point in time would be, okay. we'll, we'll, say, we'll say that this is about 9.30. Okay. So it's not super late. But super late. late. But for a, a young woman to be out and about by herself on the streets of London. It's late. It's late. Yeah. Um, that being said, <clears throat> rolling the ten, no encounters, no... Great. No uh, running in with the constabulary, no voices beckoning you into alleys. Great. Uh, that being said, you do breathe a sigh of relief upon exiting Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. Because even though you are no longer in that profession and haven't been for quite some time, Whitechapel just seems awash with the echoes of uh, those poor undesirables who met their grisly end at the end of old Jack's knife. Mm -hmm. um, shiver runs through your spine. You traverse from Whitechapel... Uh, eventually making your way to the uh, the city of London itself um, until eventually you uh, are once again in Soho District. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself at the mouth of Shaftesbury Avenue. At this point in time, closer to 10 o'clock. Okay. What has been going through Jules' <clears throat> mind during this ambulatory? Well, so, um, Jules is feeling a little bad. 
um, at leaving Patrick, but, it, you know, she was preparing to go down into the creepy opening with him. She was like, I can't handle anything else tonight until I get this sorted, because it's kind of big. It's mm -hmm. kind of big. Um, she's thinking about, um, about the night that she, um, that she, she killed him. That was a loud thump. Um, it's the ghost of Ansel LaPierce. Yeah, that she killed, uh, Mr. LaPierce, and, um, she's thinking about, um, the encounters that she'd had with him before at the courtesan, mm -hmm. and conversations with, um, Isabel, and everything that, that led up to that happening, and one of the things that it just keeps running through her mind is the fact that she's just flabbergasted that he could have had a daughter and then treated a girl the way that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and she's replaying conversations with Anne and she always knew from the beginning it was very apparent that there was something off and that she felt weird towards Jules and that she felt weird towards Pat um, and she's confused because she hadn't like purposely gone out of her way to like befriend the help mm -hmm. like she didn't necessarily do that but I think it was something about Anne's abrasive nature that she was like whoa like you don't need to you don't need to be like that and then they kind of formed a weird level of camaraderie which is very easy for Jules because she spent five years in a whorehouse where the only thing you had were each other and everyone there had secrets had pasts and so this weird air that Anne had was also familiar to her um, and as she's standing in front of their apartment now and looking in She's uh, trying to gauge her feelings towards Anne at this moment, mm -hmm. knowing that she's been there a week. Six days. Okay, almost a week. Mm -hmm. um, seems like probably her sole intent in coming here was to kill me. And yet, in six days, she hasn't done it. Which doesn't necessarily mean anything. Because it's possible she's just waiting to so that it doesn't automatically point to the maid. I want you to give me a history check with advantage. Okay. Seven. Seven? Seven. Okay. That's only earned you one memory. Okay. And we're going to call this uh, the DM emphasis. Okay. Um... Five would have gotten you one, ten would have gotten you two, fifteen would have gotten you three, and then natural twenty would have I would have pulled out the flow chart for you. Great. Um, that being said, uh, one, two, or three? Two. Two? Okay. Uh, sorry, you should make two. Uh, as you are ha racing these thoughts through your head, playing over those six days, um, one of the memories of the interactions that you've had with Anne leaps out at you and uh, 
he remembered that it was a conversation about her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherein she said that her father had been a cruel man, but he'd never been cruel to her. I'm, I'm glad I picked that one, because I was trying to remember that conversation myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite have it in me to go back and listen to all of the all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's... Yeah. Um, are there any lights on? Uh, there are. Okay. Um, she's going to take a deep breath and uh, go in. You enter the door, and two things immediately assault your senses. Uh, One is a warm, sweet, and not not spicy. It's it's a robust scent. Um, It's a scent that you, yourself, have not smelled in a house perhaps ever okay in passing very rarely um gingerbread hmm freshly baked gingerbread a couple of the more popular ladies with the gentler clients were often gifted with sweets of some sort whether it be grapes or pomegranates or Everything, all the chocolates, decadent. Um, but gingerbread was also one of those treats that were given every now and then. Bakeries are quite popular around them and during uh, Christmas time, but mm-hmm. that's still some ways off. But it is filling 17 Shaftesbury. The other thing you're hearing is uh, giggling and laughter. The laughter is easy enough to pick out because it's got that kind of scratchy, slightly changing quality that you're able to immediately pick out as Butterfingers. Uh (laughs) The giggling, it's new. And you're no Pat, but you're also definitely not an idiot. It's a soft, high-pitched giggling. And where there's Butterfingers, Spiker. It's not usually too far behind. And as you step into the foray, you see... I'm I'm just going to lean in the doorframe, probably, and watch whatever's happening. Um, Kind of at that juncture where you're across from where the stairs begin to go up, the kitchen's on your right, and the sitting room is far on the left. And as you just kind of lean against the wall, the edge of the kitchen, you see into the sitting room, and you see that uh, Butterfingers and Spiker are... um, flinging the remains of dough at each other and puffs of flour are on their face. (laughs) Um, You immediately hear hurrying footsteps coming from the kitchen. I swear if the two of you are making a mess... The door swings open. You lean back just a little bit as it... And she... Anne makes a direct beeline not even clocking you. Mm -hmm. Um... Gets to the sitting, gets to this opening of the sitting room, 
even though her back is completely to you, mm -hmm. you see her straighten up all of a sudden, and turn, and see you there, and she goes, ah, one moment. Ow! You monsters! And she zips into the sitting room to immediately... No, I'm going to follow in. ...begin trying to pick the two of them up. She says, I said that was fine in the kitchen! In the kitchen! This is not the... Oh, Mr. Patrick is going to kill me! Uh, I'm going to say, not, let, let, let him do it. She I'll, looks at you. I'll clean it. Oh. Do not get it in his chair. Not his chair, understand? And Butterfingers goes, Right, I mean, I really should be getting back to old Jack's anyway. Um, that being said, uh, if it's alright for Spiky to stay one more night, I know you said that Mr. Patrick wanted to look at it, but he's... He hasn't been around much. And Anne looks back at you and oh, kind of... Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, um, Spiker, dear, why don't you go ahead and um, uh, pull out my cot? And she goes, What about you, Miss Anne? It's... Don't worry about it. I've slept on far worse. I can handle one more night on the couch. Ah, Butterfingers, um, for old Jack, as it has been a couple of days, why don't you take one of these for him? And you see that she's put uh, a doily that clearly has stacks of the gingerbread kind of in biscuit form. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, I threw in an extra one for you as well. Be safe. Stick to the alleys. Yes. You're talking to like I haven't done this before. Night, Jules! Night, Butterfingers. It's good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, before I forget. Uh, <laughs> is he passing me? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to put my hand out, and then I'm going to wipe some flour off of his face. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Jules. Um, is uh, everything working fine? Like, can I give Jack your, uh, your glowing... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Excellent. Great. Oh, have I used it, actually? You have not. Oh. Um, uh, no, you have. You absolutely have. You uh, did it on on, on uh, Big Mouth's lockbox. Oh, that's right. And oh, so that's like a real, charm. real fresh on my memory. Real fresh. I was say, uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good kit. Oh, excellent. Great. Um, well, well worth the price. Good, 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 good. Uh, you know, he, he claims that he doesn't care about good good reviews and such, but this, this will put him in a good mood. Good. So. All right, uh, night. Where's Mr. Patrick? He's finishing something up. Ah, all right. Um, well, I'll be I'll be by um, after morning tea time. Uh, Got to get back to my post after all. But uh, no. Um, hey, have you seen uh, have you seen Lucy the Lamb anywhere? No. All right. Why? Part of the reason why he's calling us all back tonight. Um, a few of us are not checking in as frequently, and uh, Lucy's really not supposed to stray too far away from base. Right. And uh, it's no alarm yet. It's only been it's only been a day, but if you hear anything, just yeah. uh, let me know. Of course. Thanks, Jules. Spiker. I'll see you in the morning. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> hey, Metafingers. Hey! You're a good kid. He beams at that. Um, as he's beaming, you do see that uh, he's miss he's freshly missing a tooth. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm pretty sure it was one of my old ones. 
and he exits. Um, you see Anne ushering Spiker towards the kitchen. Hey, Spiker. How's Elizabeth? Pulls her off with the cinch from her belt. Also has flour all over mm-hmm. her face. It is a horrendous looking doll. Mm-hmm. But she, she has not let it leave her side. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Good. Don't, uh, don't you eat, eat too many sweets. Kind of bites her lip, looks <laughs> off to the side. Um, and you see Anne, as she's putting her in the kitchen, goes, Excellent point, Jules. Um, <laughs> and you see her scooping up these trays of, of gingerbread and waddling back I'll go towards help the her. Excellent. Oh, but, uh, okay, good, good, good. Um, yes, pull out the cot. Blow out the lamp when you're done. But Miss Anne, blow out... The lamp when you're done. Thank you. <sighs> Starts. Hand me those doilies, please. Right. May I? Oh, please, help yourself. Um. This batch isn't poisonous. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, starts p- tying cinches of, like, no more than uh, five or six. Okay, I'll watch how she's doing it, and then I'll... Yeah start doing it as well the bow is not complicated at all um you see that she has pulled out a a long thing of lace Mm -hmm. um she only has about two of these bags already done and there maybe is enough for like four four or five more hefty bags were these all full so um this one is for lord ashley cooper this one is for his wife those two are for his children this one is for inspector robinson that large one there is for Mr. Patrick. And I suppose you are tying your own right now. Oh, thank yeah. you. And then I, I'm just uh, having the rest as a, as a means of... Uh, in case uh, you are having any difficulty with any of the other constables. Ah. Yes. Very I figure with everything going on... I just, I, I, I've been hearing them say uh, your parole over and over again. And I know that you and Mr. Patrick have been discussing that. So I wanted to make sure that you have ease of... Uh, Transition, as it were. Yes. <clears throat> um, so Jules is just going to kind of fall into a silence um, as they're kind of working on this. That's caught. Um, and after oh. a okay. What's a, what's a while? Oh, like couple minutes okay um in that silence at some point you do see her just kind of stop for a second and look up at you from her eyes i'm just very focused yep on what i'm doing but because you i I would say because you're so hypersensitive to what's going on at this Mm -hmm. moment you do pick that up yeah 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 yep and then she goes back to what she's doing i was a prostitute i don't know if you knew that you probably did not not exactly a secret uh it wasn't my choice uh when i was um when i was 13 actually i was uh forced to do it uh actually the first year was fine uh i just just helped it was nice uh at first to have a roof over my head 
constant food, even if it wasn't particularly good. But a very nice, very nice ladies around me all the time. Uh, but when I was 14, um, that's when I serviced my first client. Uh, he, uh, he paid extra for that. And uh, after that day, it was, you know, at first it was, it was usually only one a, a night. Um, but as I got bigger and um, more popular, sometimes it would be three to half a dozen a night. So, so I don't like being touched. So that's uh, gonna have her do an inside job. It's a big one for me. She pushes the biscuits in front of her, kind of a little bit further away, and she sits up a little bit straighter. And she's looking at you searchingly. Um, after I finish, because my eyes were downcast during the whole bit, almost as if like looking up, I'll mm -hmm. see it. And But if I keep my hands, if I keep my eyes down on my hands doing something tangible, then it makes it more removed. But when I finally finish saying it, I'll look up at her. At this point in time, looking at her directly in the face, knowing what you know now, You see a resemblance. Hmm. She cocks her head for a moment and she goes, That was almost unfair, Jules. You uh, ambushed me with something fairly large and I wasn't prepared, but. Um, I have a question. All right. Are you here to kill me, Anne? When we spoke of vengeance before, are you here to get yours on me, Annabelle? There are certain birds of prey who are able to exhibit a sense of absolute stillness. All creatures with lungs need to breathe. Mm -hmm. And with breath, even the smallest hint of it, there is inherent movement. Mm -hmm. As you say, Annabelle, all movement stops. On, 
on Jules's face as she's looking at her, there is no hint of anger. There is no hint of condescension. There is no judgment. She's simply asking the question. Mm-hmm. With no guile. Yeah. You hear the kitchen door open, followed by from footsteps not coming towards the sitting room, going to the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Hear the cupboard door close, mm-hmm. the footsteps, and you are able to see it, and cannot because it is out of her periphery, but you see that uh, Spiker has the cot and is kind of just like dragging it into the kitchen. And the door closes, or more like swings shut. And all the, throughout that, not even 30 seconds, it's an eternity that has passed. Mm-hmm. Finally, she looks down at the table, down at her hands. I haven't decided yet. But that is why you're here. Yes, Jules. I suppose it was absolutely arrogant of me (laughs) to think that I could hide everything from under the roof of a man who is lauded to have Scotland Yard as beck and call. Professional curiosity. What gave me away? The blackmail. Of course. No actual chambermaid would ever be so arrogant if even for a moment. Irony, of course, being that that was born out of sincere concern. There's a lesson there. If any of us are around to learn it. Or at least one of us will be. Do you have it out for Pat as well? No, not precisely. Truth be told, those first couple of nights, I wanted to see how close you were to him. I wanted to see if maybe losing him would be the best place to start. Now I'm quite sure that it's he who needs you more than you need him. Make no mistake, I would take a bullet for Carl Patrick. I think we both know you've already taken a few. True enough. What stopped you, Anne? Just first night. 
besides the fact that I'm not a fool. Pat and I have enemies. You do indeed. However, the death of a ward or the death of the duo, first night the new help comes on. One new identity was expensive enough. Yes, let's see how much of that uh, relic you stole. Did it cost? Or do you still have that? Your friends with Big Mouth. Oh, but he don't... lives his name. <laughs> oh, it did not come cheap. Clearly not. Getting the information from him actually, we had to save his life. A blood debt. Of course. <sighs> Seems that even in the West, men have honor to a degree. Well, I don't know about that, but. Yes. I had to give the entirety of the emerald over to Big Mouth, but it was. It was money well spent. So you're. You're here for revenge for your father? Yes. Now you think probably that's why I found it so humorous when you offered to help me with my goal. It does explain your response. Good thing you didn't just agree on the spot without even knowing what it was, huh, Jules? Well, I usually make it a policy not to agree to things I don't know. It's a good my, policy. Well, it's my background, you can understand. I mean it what I said, Jules, I haven't made up my mind yet. I have no illusions as to what my father was. But here's the thing. He was all I had. And for however just a reason it may have been, you took him from me. I did. But... I am not cruel, and I am not a beast, though it is in my blood. I see exactly what it is that you and Carl do for, do for people who are generally overlooked. I had to get the measure of who you are before I made my decision. And I will say that you have made it exceedingly difficult to stand resolutely on one side or the other. So, this begs the question. What now, Jules Walker?
first thing. First thing I should say is, I'm sorry. Don't. Don't you dare. But I am. Are you sorry for killing him, or are you only sorry because you know me now? Are you sorry for the life you extinguished, or only because you are now aware of the echoes of snuffing it out? If it is the latter, keep your apology. I don't want it. I don't need it. I've always been sorry for having extinguished a life. Do you need to make a persuasion or a deception check? No, I'm... Oh, which of the two? Yes. Um, that would be persuasion. Go ahead and do so, please. Which is a shame, because deception is a higher stat. Mm -hmm. But she means it. But that's a 20. That? No. Okay. Dirty. We need to have a rollies. Oh, boy. It's an eight. Gotcha. You see her eyes begin to soften. And while you are not as well versed in the mechanics of the tells of people, mm -hmm. you have heard Patrick pontificate enough <laughs> and have witnessed it yourself to know that as her eyes soften, they dart up to the upper left, recalling something. Mm -hmm. And when the eyes come back to you, they are flint. They are blue steel. Not showing an ounce of anything on her face. Mm -hmm. But you cannot mistake those eyes. She is unmoved by your declaration however sincere it may have been. Mm -hmm. The... When it happened, I expected to feel one way. And I didn't feel that way. And... So you did not even get the satisfaction that you sought? I don't think it was satisfaction that I sought. That doesn't rightly matter. No, You it haven't doesn't. answered my question. What now, Jules?
Jules is going to stand up. As you are standing, Anne is immediately pulling her chair back. Um, Jules is going to unbutton the upper part of her shirt. Mm-hmm. She's going to pull out one of her daggers and set it on the table. She's going to say, just do it. Make rolls. Um, okay. First is an insight. Let's see if you are serious. Okay. That's a six. Um, <clears throat> she stands up. She looks at the knife that you've put on the table, and she looks you directly in the eyes. And in a movement that is... Give me a perception check, actually. Okay. Eleven. Eleven? Okay. In a... Motion that is, you are able to perceive it, mm-hmm. but it is unbelievably fast. Mm-hmm. It is on par with your own strikes mm-hmm. in regards to knife work. Um, she has a hand around your neck, not choking you, yeah. but like around the back of it, and uh, has scooped up the dagger and is holding it point to your chest in the blink of an eye and she is eyes are wide and frantic and her teeth are bared and she's just staring at you and you don't flinch do you um I don't flinch um I am I was anticipating being touched in some form, mm-hmm. so I don't think her hand is. And as you had said, um, the day before, she's a woman, right? So when she had been working right. on your wounds, uh, it was, yeah, she has, yeah, yeah, no, she has, she has, she has touched you directly before. Yes, just never aggressively. Right, but I invited it. So you don't flinch. Nope. That was a good poem. The dagger begins to press slowly below your collarbone. Enough that blood is starting to... You feel her hand beginning to shake. Bang! Slams the dagger onto the table. Starts 
walking, pacing room, tearing off the maid's bonnet, uh, her blonde hair now just coiling down freely. You can't do this to me! You cannot take this from me! Haven't you already taken enough? Anne? Jules? It's alright, Spiker. Anne's telling me a story. Give me a deception check. Unfortunately, with disadvantage, as Anne is not helping. She's doing, like, the opposite of helping. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's 18. Beautiful. Spiker goes... It's a little loud. Sorry, I'll try to keep it down. Indeed, Spiker. I've just got caught up in it. Weird ladies. She's not wrong. No idea how right. This is your solution. To just lay down and die. Do you not value your own life that much? I really don't. I live with the hope of redeeming not just myself, but perhaps this city. This dirty, evil, plagued city. And I look back on the sum of my life, and I've done so few things that make my life worth anything. Only in the past five years. Uh, working with Pat, feeling like I'm contributing. And, and right now with the madness that's going on, being able to support him, it's important to me. That is important. until I learned who you were. I must have so much more to atone for than I thought. I didn't know we had a daughter. I didn't know a man like that could have a daughter. How could he do that to her? Knowing what knowing what a 13-year-old girl would be like. How could he... I saw him once, through the keyhole. 
and I went in. I went in to stop him. And I was whipped for that. And I tried to convince the proprietor to stop letting him come in. I tried. Isabel, remember who was just in? You made that lovely cake. He almost killed her, just with his hands. Another part of his anatomy. But I never thought. You say you don't want to hear an apology about what happened to you. Well, I'm sorry you got to hear it anyway. I'm sorry for what I did to you. I lost my father. I know how hard it is. I'm sorry. If I'd known, maybe I would have tried again. I don't know. Maybe things would have turned out different. I don't know. But I... I don't know how to atone for all I've done. But I know I'm already paying for it in some way, so... Give me a persuasion check. And tears are rolling down Jules's cheeks as they are mine. <laughs> you said 22. 22. I rolled a 21. Oh my gosh! <sighs> I rolled a 19 and she is plus 2. Um, and, and by this point, Jules has slumped back down into her chair. She hasn't even gone to touch the blood. Mm-hmm. It's just running down, and now it's starting to stain through her shirt. Mm-hmm. Hasn't touched it. As you slump in, you hear Anne. come to the side not within five feet of you but this is not the night you atone Jules Walker this is not the night you die And whether or not it ever is at my hands, it will be when I think it is time. Well, you'll have to decide sooner rather than later because I'm already dying. another little gift from being a whore. You pick up all kinds of fun things. So I think all my cards are now on the table. I think that's every single one of them. Well then here's my like kind. My name you well know, is Annabelle LaPierce, mm-hmm. and the daughter of Marianne and Ansel. 
My mother died of consumption when I was four. It was just me and my father. When I turned ten, he couldn't handle how much I looked like her. So he sent me away to finishing school. And every week of his letters would be chocolates. French chocolates. I would go home for Christmas. And for the summers. And then, when I was 15, one week, the first time he'd ever missed, no letter came. The next day, a telegram arrived. I had seen what my father was becoming. I understood that there wasn't a happy ending for him. It still hurt. So rather than be shipped off to the workhouses or share the fate of those who are often in my circumstances, I left. Under the guise of a young boy with my hair shorn short, I made my way back. I went all the way to Westminster. I sat in on a trial where I saw a young woman slapped on the wrist for ending my father's life. Justice was denied for me. My own fault, of course, I didn't speak up, but I couldn't take that risk. Before the day was over, I was on a boat headed to France. Snuck on, of course. I had a firm grasp of the language thanks to my years at the finishing school. Two years, as I said, I spent on the streets of Paris. And when I had learned all I could, it was there in the kitchens I began to plot. And I knew, I knew, that if I were to effectively get my revenge, if I were to destroy every facet of your life, and yet still live to see the remainder of my own, I knew I had to be strong and clever. Cleverness came easily. Strength. Strength is how I found myself, first in Tibet, and then at that monastery in Nepal, where I suffered, but it was a suffering I welcomed. And when I had learned all I could, in whatever time I knew I had, I broke the neck of my master. And I took that damned fat man's navel. 
came back here, buying all the right papers, buying all the right connections. But I couldn't quite let go of Annabelle. So I became Anne. And now, it seems even she too will not be able to stick around for long. Those are my cards, Jules. I want you to know something, though. I do like you. I truly do. It's what has been making this difficult. But anything worth doing or worth not doing is meant to be done slowly and surely. Just like milking venom from a black monk. Unfortunately, it would appear that my time of observing at hand is at its end. Alternative methods will now must be employed. One of two things will happen now. With your permission, Miss Walker. It's Miss Walker again. <laughs> Allow me one last farce as your chambermaid. I will go into that cupboard. I will collect what little effects I have. And I will walk through that door. If you do ever see me again, you will know that I have judged you to be lacking. Well, if it helps, I already know that I'm lacking. I must say, I preferred the fiery you to this. She'll be back. For your sake, I hope I won't be. And you yes. happen to be the uh, person I've been chasing on the roofs. The bells were a very clever touch. Uh. I thought it might have been you. You came very, very close that first time. Yes, I know. It was a good chase. It was. Hadn't quite gone my bearings yet. Well, the second time you only outrun me because, you know, I was barefooting in my shift. Mm. Going through the glass was very, very smart. 
I do wish that damn detective hadn't been so clever. I wish I had kept my mouth shut. I enjoyed being here. Look after Spiker. It's what we do. I know. glass of brandy? I'll never turn down a glass of brandy. She exits the room. She comes back in. Puts the brandy on the table. Two glasses. Slides one over to you. A very interesting week. A very unorthodox friendship. The cat and the mouse. Do you drink? Mm hmm. She stands up, and she looks at you, she nods her head, she begins to walk into the hallway, you hear the cupboard door open, and you hear it close. You see her walk back in now with a small satchel over her shoulder. She's changed very quickly, and as she steps into the sitting room, you see that she's wearing the rooftop chase clothes. The scarf is down and wrapped around her neck, and the hood is pulled back. And she looks at you. I'm still holding the glass. Mm -hmm. And she looks at the clock on the wall. Three, two, one. Give me a constitution saving throw. Ten. No, nine. You freeze up. Mm -hmm. For a brief moment, the relaying of Adolphus's, Adolphus's venom comes to mind. Mm -hmm. A scratch, 
the paralyzed man, but if ingested, mm-hmm. fatal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew when I drank it. Yeah. That it could be. And she leans forward, and she looks at you as you feel your body completely freeze up, and she goes. That is how easy it would have been. Sorry, you do have enough time to respond to this before you fully succumb. It's getting hard to breathe, but at the same time, you don't feel yourself slowing down. I'll say, I would have preferred the knife. You mistake me, Jules, as you have. That is not Adolphus. You'll just be like that until morning. More than enough time for me to find the rest of Mr. Patrick's opioid. More than enough time for me to find every nook and cranny in that room of his. More than enough time for me to get over to Scotland Yard and have the constables here what an interesting story they will find. You see, I like you. But Carl pissed me off. Do I have time to say one more thing? You do. That may be true. But I think he's the only thing standing between... London and a field of ashes. Give me one more persuasion check. 20. see that it strikes a chord with her, mm-hmm. and you see her look back towards the kitchen, where she knows Spiker is. You might very well be right. But I'm also a selfish creature. And... With that, the paralytic takes its full mm-hmm. hold, and while conscious and able to breathe, it is as if uh, a rigor mortis has fully taken you on. She gives you a few pokes, a few prods. She proceeds to drag your chair to the entrance of the sitting room. Six. Okay. Well, Jesus Christ. 25. Um, she then picks you up rather smoothly, opens up the cupboard, puts you in, disappears for a moment, and returns with a blanket. <laughs> and she just kind of 
tucks you in. To an unorthodox friendship, indeed. Goodbye, Jules. You are left alone in the darkness. What is going through Jules's mind? Um. Mostly that Pat's gonna be pissed. Um. But between the two of us, we should be able to come up with a good enough story to explain away the opioids especially given his contribution and the like experimentation thing mm -hmm. like we could easily be totally so she's not overly worried about that um she's mostly disappointed in Anne. um yeah disappointed mostly uh disappointed that uh she didn't just do it on one hand and on the other hand, that she is so consumed, ironically, by Venom, that she has gone and done all of these amazing things and learned all of these great skills, but for one purpose that is toxic. Um, and she thinks about the trial and she's thinking of the couple times that she turned around, she's trying to think if she saw a young boy there. Give me a history check. Oh, okay. I just figured she wouldn't. <laughs> history is abysmal. At 13. You kept your eyes mostly forward. Right. Um, Chin high, but forward. Right. Um, but ultimately, she went into this conversation and she uh, was honest. Yep. She wasn't trying to deceive. Um, it was a little shocking, the the depth of Anne's venom. Um, and Jules decided to go into this and just lay all of her cards out and have it out in the hopes of helping her extract some of that venom from her soul, but clearly she's too far gone, at least at this point. So this is going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, at the same time, she can't really begrudge Anne for her feelings, having known her own, uh, her own and, rage. Yeah, and she certainly has. Uh, at least one person still that she would very much like some kind of vengeance upon, but now she's to the point of knowing that it has to be... It can't be like that. It can't be cold blood. That won't do it. And I'm assuming she'll still be able to, like, sleep? Like, fall unconscious? I don't know, because oh, yeah. her no, eyes no. are paralyzed open, but... Sorry, that was a poor description on my part. Okay. It was more along the lines of that the rest of you is just, you can still do this. Oh, I can still move my eyes. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really, really dark in there. 
So. Okay, right. So, anyway, um, she does hope um, that she sees Anne again, but in some form of, not, not in the because I'm going to kill you kind mm -hmm. of way, but in a, some, some kind of reconciliation. And she, she isn't sure if it's because she wants to be forgiven. She doesn't know if she can be forgiven for taking someone's father. Or if Anne's even capable of forgiveness. Right. Um, but she was starting to like Anne and saw a bit of a kinship in her. Um, kinship that was expressed two ways. Right. And that was the hardest thing. And I think that was the hardest thing for Jules was that the conversation ultimately just revealed how burdened she is by, by revenge. Um, anyway, so eventually she'll drift off, because what else can she do? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess give me first, uh, just roll a, a d20. Okay. 18. 18? Okay. In that case, go ahead and give me a perception check as well. Ooh. Seven. Seven? Okay. Um, at some point, like maybe two hours later, you think you hear a door and footsteps. Mm-hmm. You think. Okay. You try to make any kind of grunt, anything, but whatever Anne has dosed you with. Mm -hmm. One thing's for certain, you're getting a solid eight hours of sleep. Yeah, great. Yep. All right. That is where we'll leave off for now. Patrick. As you and Jules begin the descent into the basement of the Ten Bells, her arm briefly catches on your shoulder, and as you look back and look in her eyes, the concern and the pressing need of the revelations of Big Mouth are her sole focus, and there is a hint of permission-seeking in her gaze, but no words are spoken. Give her a knowing nod, of course. She... No, no words need to be spoken in this. It's just like, yep. Mm -hmm. Great. Without a second word, she turns around, having not even taken three steps down the steps, and begins exiting up the front. You wonder for a brief moment if the rather large gentleman watching the front door will let her pass so easily. As the door opens... You hear nothing but the clicking of her of her boots as she leaves the premise. And you like mom. <clears throat> and alone you descend. Until you find yourself in a cellar. A very ordinary looking cellar where there's barrels of of uh, beer, mead, uh, a very dusty wine rack 
sits off. Uh, some very old, ancient vintages as your eyes gloss over them. And standing directly next to this wine rack, Mr. C um, is looking disdainfully at the cobwebs that have begun to form uh, around this basement. And he looks at you and goes, Ah, was that a little too much? Mm. <clears throat> Mr. C. Mr. C, here we are. Oh, is that a, a touch much for Miss Walker this evening? Uh, she has a business that needs to be attended to. Impressing. Ah, well, understandable, of course, love. I'm certain that uh, there will be another time in the future, should you find tonight's meeting to your liking, that she'll be able to meet the, the widespread nature of our order. But Mr. Patrick, you have said a phrase and Yet there is one thing about that uh, still burns my curiosity. You see, I have been keeping track personally of your various accomplishments, and yet I have found no hint of a preternatural predisposition to help guide your actions. So therefore, sir, while you have spoken the initial Quote, needed. I ask you now, how do we access the next sanctum? He spreads his arms welcomely. Welcoming, not welcomely. I don't think that's a word. Okay. Um, let's see. Looking at my magical stuff that I have heard. Once again, to remind you, uh -huh. he's not necessarily inviting your knowledge of the occult and of the mystic. Yeah. He's challenging you to use merely your wits alone. Yeah. I was looking to see if there's anything I could do. So <laughs> the truth, how would we? <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Um, okay, so... Barrels, dusty wine rack... Cobwebs. Um, right? uh -huh. okay. It's just not picking up as much as it normally does for whatever reason. That's weird. How's yeah. this? Should I just be closer? Maybe just skosh. Okay. Hello. All better. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um. So. I guess I'll just um. Do a investigation of this area. Yeah, let me paint you a brief yeah. word picture here so uh -huh. perhaps you can focus your attentions or you could just do a general mm -hmm. uh, overlay. So as I said, the stairs are fairly unimpressive and it's yeah. really, barrels for all of its mystic concealment, um, it is uh, two rows of barrels, probably no more than about eight feet long each. Mm -hmm. um, scores of shelves uh, with various uh, goblets and uh, metal steins and all the spare uh, glassware that uh, an establishment like the Ten Belts could ask mm -hmm. for. Um, you do see that in a corner there is a couple of meat hooks that do have some uh, smoked smoking mm -hmm. meat that does seem to be slightly partitioned off from the rest of the thing. 
Um, and then, of course, there is the wine rack as well that Mr. C is currently standing to the right of. Uh, finally, beyond that would just be sacks of uh, various grain. Um, and with passive perception being what it mm -hmm. is, you do see that uh, one of these sacks does have a slight grip in the seam, and uh, there's little droppings mm -hmm. around it, so you get the sense that perhaps they're not doing a really good job of watching the food in here. Yeah. It's almost as if it's here for appearances rather yeah. than actual consumption. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, well, since the dusty wine rack is right there and, it, and there's cobwebs, it, that part looks like it hasn't been messed with recently. A general overlook tells you that. Yeah. You could look closer if you okay. want. Okay. Well, I'd like to look closer then. Okay. Go ahead and give me an investigation. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you for stopping. Um, that is a, a 22. <laughs> 22. Okay, that is more than sufficient. So, uh, as you... No, that, that was very funny. Uh, you utilizing your knees. It's like, oh, I don't like that number. Let's no, no, no. no, it's like... <laughs> to... <laughs> um, you see that the, the whole top rack of the bottles, um, th th they have not been touched for quite a while. Same as the second row, same as the third row. You get down to the fourth row, which is about maybe two-thirds of the way down the rack itself. And as you kind of not rudely, but just firmly and gently kind of move your hand to the side, not even making contact with Mr. C, but just more along the lines of, please move, mm -hmm. and he does exactly that. The third bottle from the left is almost perfectly clear in that it appears that it's been wiped mm -hmm. time and time and time again. Nothing like the surrounding bottles. Cool. Um, I reached for it and either, either assuming it's a handle of some sort or reaching to pull it. Mm -hmm. Um, as you grasp it, you do feel that, uh, the bottle itself is affixed mm -hmm. to it. So it's just kind of a little twist of your wrist. The bottle does turn in place and you do hear it. And he goes, ah, well, that's one, Mr. Patrick. Well sought. Well sought indeed, sir. That's one. Okay. Well, okay, so the wine bottles that Mr. C was standing by. Um, if that's one... Then I'm going to look over at the sacks of grain, which are apparently not important enough to, you know, keep away from rodents, so they're just here for decoration's sake, mm -hmm. and inspect that general region. Great. Go ahead and give me another investigation check. I'll try to do this when it's not on my knees. So. <laughs> there we go. Oh, not as good. That's only a 15. Okay. Still more than sufficient for this cause. Uh, as you start to kind of tow the sacks a little bit, just kind of pushing them, you do see it as a couple of mice go skittering across the floor, having disturbed the the rice and the grains. Um, you take out your cane and you give it just a couple more solid pokes. Uh, it does feel like it's filled with mm -hmm. grains and rice, 
and as you just kind of pull one back, there doesn't appear to be, it doesn't appear to be concealing anything. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, then the then the barrels, because those are. Um, the next bit, unless there's another bottle to be found. So I'm going to do the barrels, and then if that doesn't turn up anything, I'll inspect the wine bottle skin. Okay, and there's also the smoking corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, all right, so I'll do that. Okay. I'm actually going to go barrels, bottles again, then smoking. Great. Um, give me an investigation for the barrels. Is there a specific kind of element that you are keeping an eye out for? Because... The only reason I gave you the, the whole mm -hmm. thing about the dusting of the bottle is because you had specifically asked mm -hmm. um, if anything had looked disturbed. So yeah, um, with the barrels, um, give me a perception check first, sir. Yeah. Or what is your passive again? Is your passive like absurdly high? My passive perception is pretty darn high. It's eighteen. 18? Okay, so I won't even... Okay. I, I would say that as you are looking at the first couple barrels, um, you see that a great number of them, at least the ones in your initial viewing, so like the first four that you see of these two rows, you're looking at the spigots, and each of the spigots are well-polished. Um, you can tell that their the, the liquid does come through them mm -hmm. on a fairly consistent basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, there's been buffing to make sure that there's no, uh, residual liquids and rusting on mm -hmm. the spigots. Okay. So they're used often, right? So that's enough. The four, first four at least are. All right. Well, then I'll look back at the wine bottles and see if there's anything else that may have, that I may have missed, but I doubt it on a 22 uh, that I rolled. So looking at that again. Okay, to the smoked meats corner. You said there was still smoking? Some oh. of them are, yeah. There's uh, four hooks that are hanging down from the ceiling in this little kind of partitions. There's a, uh, a vent that you can tell leads into the alley. Um, uh, with your passive perception being what it is, um, the smell does smell like smoking meats. It's very strong initially. But as you kind of lean to the left and and then lean to the right and center and left smells robustly of a smoking pork dish. Mm -hmm. The right still has a bit of that smell, but not nearly as strong. Hmm. Okay. So if that one is a little bit off, then um, I'll sort of reach, reach up and, and see if this is actually meat mm -hmm. or if it's a, a, a dummy uh, that needs to be uh, adjusted to un unlatch a lock. It is very much a plastered meat. There we go. You can immediately tell upon touching it. However, as you put your hand on it, you do sense that nothing is meant to be adjusted as it is a singular piece that's been molded together. Mm -hmm. However, as you follow the chain up, Rather than all the other chains that are anchored mm -hmm. in the ceiling, this one seems to go into uh, a, a 
hole of sorts. Hmm. Okay. It's as if the chain is fed through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll lift up first and then pull pull down to see. Is this is this a rising one? No, this is a very much okay. pulling. Yep. yep. A couple more links go ting 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 ting, and you hear a ch. And you hear, very good, Mister Patrick. Very good indeed. Hmm. It is a shame that your friend left, though. Where's that? Well, how do you propose to do both at the same time? Not sure. What's your passive insight? Um, it's also huge. Insight is 18 as well. Okay. He's honestly impressed. He's also, you can tell he's messing with you a little bit mm -hmm. at this point in time. Oh, uh, I'll say, oh, it's very simple. And <laughs> with my whip, <laughs> lash it on to the, the, um, the smoked meat and uh -huh. pull down over there and okay. over that way. Okay, <laughs> um, give me, give me a dexterity check, sir. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think that's good. I'm a dex-based person. Just not strength. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Dex check? Dex check. Okay. Um, better before you rolled. That's a 12. Okay. This is a rule of cool thing. Okay. I had set it at 10 just because. Uh, you see Mr. C's eyes go wide and he rears back as this. <laughs> uh, whips out and you pull it down. Uh, kind of working around one of the barrels so that you have almost like a pulley going so that it actually is pulling down and then you just kind of lean over behind him once again doing the little shoe please motion mm -hmm. grip the bottle and you hear both <laughs> and as you start to wind your whip back up Mr. C looks at you and says you could have also just simply said please I could have he laughs at that. As well, it appears that the accounts of your uh, accomplishments are not exaggerated. Well done, Mr. Patrick. Well done indeed. Well, I believe that that's earned a little bit of a reward. That regardless of how the rest of the evening goes, my name is Calhoun. Calhoun. Mr. Calhoun. Mr. Calhoun. And it is an earnest pleasure to make your acquaintance, sir. Likewise, I'm sure. Well then, best not keep the others waiting. After you, sir. In I go. This is more in line with what you had been expecting in regards <laughs> to a spooky entrance. Oh, good. A single sconce on this spiraling stone staircase. Goes down 10, 20, 30 feet. You then find yourself in a long, damp, dark hallway. The mildew and stale air 
not quite choking, but not pleasant in the slightest bit. For the right, beyond all sight, into the darkness. Same for to the left. And Mr. Calhoun steps in and he goes, oh, I told him to light the bloody torches. And he holds out a little tiny match. <laughs> and he approaches one of the walls, feeling blankly until finally, ah, pulls off a torch and with this low torchlight emanating out, this hall is larger than anticipated. But all of a sudden, the mildewy smell makes significantly more sense as you see that in the middle of this hall, going both to the left and the right, is a small canal of sorts. This is clearly not sewage, mm -hmm. as the water is not filthy and mm -hmm. sludge and refuse filled, but it's not clean as well. As you lean down closer upon it, giving a another hefty salt water. So clearly, somehow this canal feeds into the tents. Mm -hmm. Follow me, please, sir. And he starts going off to the left. Your internal compass trying to kick in a little bit. You've been going down and you've been facing north when you opened the wine cellar. And if you did a full two circles going down, no, lower than that, three circles, assuming that you were once again doing a whole 360 degrees, you'd be facing north again, meaning if you're going left, you're heading west, deeper into London. And you walk, and you start walking. And as you are walking, your passive perception does pick up that every so often on the other side of this small, shallow canal, deep enough that perhaps a small vessel could glide upon the surface of it. You notice that there are multiple entryways to this tunnel. He goes, yes, I do hope that uh, walking isn't Disagreeing with you at this point of the night, sir. We were supposed to have the, the pulley system working and ready for you. However, it was a tad later than we had anticipated, and uh, there were demands for its use earlier today. Fortunately, it's really more of a one-boat canal. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for uh, athletics in its place. If you don't mind my asking, you did play it a little close to the midnight hour. Was this merely to build the suspense for us, sir, or is there something else that has been more pressing on your time? I had other uh, engagements. There was a, a dinner uh, engagement that I had. Huh. Consider this a dessert on a was hopefully an uneventful day. Um, you walk in silence for another 10 minutes or so until finally you see in the far distance light moving towards you. And he goes, ah, oh, thank goodness. I'm, 
Athletics may be agreeable to you, sir. However, I am far too old to be engaging in such lengthy trips at this time of night. It's not much longer before a high proud, uh, wide. It, it almost appears to be a rowboat, but you think instead upon the illustrations that you've seen of the city of Venice. Those long sloped barges where men with long sticks would propel it between the city streets. Sure enough, you see a uh, grizzled old man, a little bit of a, not a full-on hunchback, but you can tell that he spends a lot of time leaning on one particular side. Um, scraggles of gray hair come down and you see a tattoo making its way all across his neck of uh, what appear to be either vines or, or thorns or some sort of phalanges that just kind of creep up from uh, under his shirt to wrap around his jaw and the side of his face. Um, as a typical sailor, you see that he has the piercings in each ear and the glint on the torch is unmistakable that it is gold. This man has spent a life at sea. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. C? Uh, no, Edgar, it's quite fine. It's... Uh, We've already clued Mr. Patrick in. Oh, very well, Robert. Um, Carl Patrick, is it? Indeed it is, Edgar. Ah, yes. Um, Eddie, simply, will do just fine. Um, Robert here uh, likes to rest back on formalities as he thinks it uh, will make those around us forget where he comes from. And you hear a... <coughs> from uh, Mr. Calhoun. He says, that's quite enough of that, Edgar. And he gets into the boat. So, well, who else has been uh, employing you this evening? I might know so I could give them a piece of my mind. He goes, well, uh, Robert, you'd be hard pressed. It, uh, it was the doctor himself who uh, shot my employment tonight. Oh. Well, if he was stepping out of his uh, his tower, then I suppose that there was a cause for your services. Do tell him to meet with me at some point in the next couple of days if you do run into him before I. I'm not your page, Robert, but if I remember it, I'll be sure to do so. Mr. Patrick, I just ask that you uh, keep yourself bow-legged or sit in the middle. It's very shallow and even the slightest jostling can run, uh, run her aground a bit. Do so. This trip is going to take an hour, sir. So, what would you like to do to pass the time? Hmm. Well, if we're sitting here passing the time, um, sit there and I'm going to I'll probably clean my gun 
for a little while. Definitely letting Mr. C and Harrow know that You're armed. I'm armed. Mm-hmm. And cleaning it, because it just saw a lot of action this evening. Uh-huh. Um, and offhandedly, uh, I'm going to, you know, be spinning it and, you know, making sure everything's clean with the bristles and cleaning out any of the powder um, traces that are in the barrel. Um, I'm going to say it to Mr. Calhoun. Mr. Calhoun, you and your uh, organization don't know anything about the uh, Necronomicon, do you? see Calhoun flinch and he goes I I myself am not qualified to speak on such dire matters sir though I will tell you that if you have questions regarding its authorship or its contents those would be Better posed the more senior members of our order. Your order? Um. Oh, blast it all, Mr. Patrick. Do you have no patience, man? I'm going to be in hot water if this conversation continues. Am I not allowed to ask questions? Is oh. this to be a silent venture? No, of course, of course, Mr. Patrick. I hold you no ill regard. You are a curious soul. This is exactly why we're bringing you in. It is merely that I myself am not meant to be divulging more than my station allows, and <laughs> God's man, you've already managed to pull two out of me. Well, and I hesitate to ask more, but what is your station, then? I am a collector, sir. I... Collect rumors. Occasionally I collect physical materials. Occasionally I collect people. But more than anything else, I collect knowledge. Knowledge that I myself may not understand, but that I can bring to the attention of those who would. My role as a collector tonight is I had heard your name enough times and done enough research on your exploits that I figured you were warranted an introduction to those who could benefit from your services. Of course, (laughs) I was, uh, I was not quite circumvented as I was preempted by our dear um, Miss Emma. She <laughs> she always had a way of 
more than anyone else, knowing exactly who and what was important. So upon finding out that you were to have a evening with Mrs. Britton, it was the final nail in the coffin, as it were. But not that the coffin is a bad thing in this scenario, so do not worry. We would not go through nearly as much effort if we were to spirit you away or have you disappear. No, no, this is... You're putting a lot of faith in us right now, and I want you to understand that that faith will be rewarded. Is Miss Britton a member of your society? Not so much an active member as of late, sir. But was? Indeed. One of our founders. Of course, there were those who came on who questioned her gifts, as they could not be replicated or taught. Mm. Indeed, there are still those who are naysayers, though they hardly ever pierce the inner circle. But no, my role as a collector is to serve as an intermediary between, well, how the Order must interact with Tell me, though, you were able to witness firsthand what she's capable of, yes? Yes. Oh, I find myself enormously envious of you, sir. Few in our order have had such a privilege. I wouldn't, I, I don't highly recommend it. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say you should seek after it as the effects are um, disorienting. Hmm. Your reality turning on its head as a way of doing that, I suppose. He's looking at you intently. And you see him, for a moment, start to reach up, his hands going, searching, searching below his ascot, and you see he grips something underneath his shirt, and he's staring at you intently, and I need you to give me a wisdom saving throw. Okay. DC 16. Theoretically, that should be okay. We good. That's a 21. Okay. As he's looking at you, <laughs> without excessively tipping my hat here, sir, what would your surface thoughts have been in this moment? Oh, um... Uh, let's go back a second. So, so the founder, he was envious of me. Oh, reality. So I was, uh, my surface thoughts were, um, uh, uh, everyone seems to be, um, fond of, uh, um, questioning reality. Uh, and so, 
if if reality is to be questioned, then what is real? And it is upon the everyone that you start to feel a pressure mounting behind your eyes. And you look over at Calhoun and you see that he's getting a little pale-faced. He's just staring at you intently. And then you do start to see, not black, but just the tiniest bit of blood starting to leak from his nose. And upon just flexing and refusing further pressure, uh, you see him recoil a little bit, his hand coming out, and goes, Oh, my gracious. Um, <laughs> what what does one say when their hand's been caught in the cookie jar? Uh, my apologies, sir. I could... And from behind you here, Oh, Robert, you didn't. And he looks back and goes, I... And then I... Curiosity got the better of me. What? <laughs> You have my most sincere, humble apologies, sir. <laughs> um, I was not prepared for one completely unversed in our ways to be able to so stoutly. Goodness gracious. Oh, you are a tough man to read, Mr. Patrick. I've been told that. Oh. Well, such is the folly of my own vanity. There we go. Curiosity is uh, my weakness as well. Mm. Uh, Mr. Calhoun, I, I wonder as to what questions uh, I may ask you that you might be able to answer as uh, I don't wish to offend your station. Um, no, no, it's not the offense, sir, of your questions. It would be the offense of the answers that are elicited from me. But I... Why don't we keep this simple? As a recompense for invading your own privacy, sir. Give me three questions and I will suffer the consequences if they exceed my station. Okay. Um. And I will speak honestly. On this you have my oath, 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 oath. For that one word, it echoed all around you and then seemed to be sucked back into this moment. Okay, three questions. And you see <coughs> Eddie just kind of you are going to end up at the bottom of the Thames, Robert. That's three questions. Um, um, perfect. Uh, what does in this, in this, uh, in this moment with you and 
your connections, I'm sure. I'm wondering if you can't tell me more about the Necronomicon. Have you heard of, do you know of a being called the King in Yellow? question was partly two tiered, however, I, I'm going to overlook the initial oh, well. aspect of it. The king in yellow and its relation to the Necronomicon is beyond my knowledge. I will say, however, that I have heard of this term before. I feel as if it was in one of the books that I'd been sent to collect years ago. Alas, my memory is not eidetic, nor is it as nearly as encyclopedic as it used to be, as I have given myself over to uh, less physical teachings in my other years. The King in Yellow, though. Clearly a title in lieu of a name. And if it is a being hiding or needing a title instead of its name, I'm going to say that it is a being of either giant hubris or great power. Unfortunately, that is the extent of my knowledge, sir. Hmm. Fair enough. You, um, does that, um, does that mean that Mr. C is a was a title in lieu of your name? Is that uh, I wonder if that's hiding hubris or great power, my friend? Is that a question, Mr. Patrick? Mm, just uh, uh, an observation. <laughs> Another question. Let me see. Hubris, <laughs> by the way. Speaking of names, the name of your this organization, may I know it? We are the Hematic Order of the Golden Dawn. The Hematic Order of the Golden Dawn. I believe we'll chalk that one up to your impatience, sir. Yeah, well. I'd like to know who I'm dealing with before I begin dealing with them. Of course. I've had enough people saying, I'll tell you my name later. <laughs> enough? Uh, were I not already rebuffed, I would be diving in again. I would dearly like to have a social call with you at some point, sir. We have time now. True enough. However, I have blood in my moustache and... Ungentlemanly. I think over tea would be better. Your third question.
ask him if he's a virgin. Edward! <laughs> I mean, Edgar! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Eddie cackles a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll just be like, mm, um, my, my passive insight, I can already tell. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. All right, I need, I need to pause in our in his conversation with Calhoun and think back to the conversation that we first had with Calhoun. Yes. He talked about Mrs. Britton, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. who was like, she's of vital she's interest vital. to she, us. Yep. Um, did he say to like protect her, to keep her alive? He said to or look after her. Look after her. Um, I think I'm mm, going to go ahead and hit pause. pause yeah. My last question might have two parts. Mrs. Britton, being a founder of your hermetic order of the Golden Dawn, being of great import. Is it important to you that she remains alive or is it vital that she die? For she's seen it. She has seen her death. Um, he's not able to conceal facial features at all. Um, he goes stark white, so that he's almost matching his mustache. And you see him kind of slump back against the the edge of the boat for a moment. Uh, it rocks, and you hear uh, Eddie go, "Robert, come on now." You know the rules as well as anyone. Um, there's a moment of shifting weight, and uh, Mr. C, Robert Calhoun, yep. um, leans up, uh, takes out a handkerchief, is damp, dabbing his forehead, wiping sweat away from it, and he goes, If there are those in the order who wish to see Mrs. Britton no longer among us, is unknown to me. While I've never been fully privy to the extent of her powers, I have always felt instinctually she is in part a gate. She is a lock, or part of one at least. And it's in all of our collective interest she stay alive but you she said that she's oh my how soon what now it's like uh, within a week isn't it 28th uh, 30 days is completed between now and November um, so that means there's two it's four days yeah let's say within the week By natural causes? Not at all. 
Oh. Well, then she has much to answer for. But... Why would she have... Ah. Forgive me, Mr. Patrick. Um, those are your three. I'm... Like silence now, if it's all right with you. I, I have much I need to think on now. Absolutely. Thank you for being so forthcoming. As I said, it was my oath. And as he speaks that, the energy that you had felt drawn in to this focal point between the two of you, it's almost like a thread that just snaps. Not from strain, but that its purpose has been fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And you see him visibly relax a little bit as well as that happens. Mm -hmm. um, the boat ride continues on for another 20 minutes before you were last here, um, Eddie, uh, growl out, Hubbard, we're here, and, uh, Mr. Patrick, if uh, you end up using our services more often, well, it's a pleasure, and uh, mind the waters. Thank you. The two of you exit the boat, and uh, you see now that it's because the, cana the canal has seemingly ended. It's as if there's a sudden drop-off for the water. You hear the rushing of either rapids descending deeper into the earth or, or perhaps even a waterfall of sorts. And you hear that the water does continue on. And as you are entering a uh, small arch chamberway, the stonework goes from that mildewy scent to dry, clean, slightly fragrant almost. There's, there are things growing nearby that emit a very clean smell. And even though you are potentially hundreds of feet below the, sur below the surface of the earth, the air here is almost more fresh than it is upon the streets of London. You enter a, a great circular additional hallway, but this one has a vast, rich carpeted area. Uh, and you see now that there's at least five other entrances on various points of this hallway, all coming together to a solid oak door standing at 12 feet tall, about eight feet wide double doors cut down the middle, and upon it, uh, insignia that it seems like it almost resembles a, it is, it's, it's a cross that has been built further upon. There's, has so many different colors all coming together. It's, it's geometric, it's mystical, it's, it's religious, it's, 
it is all these things and none of them. But its base form is that of a cross with then uh, segmented intertwining circles with a smaller cross in the middle. The north is this tri-humped yellow segment, blue on the right, red on the left, white immediately below, and then even below that it is segmented again into about four different colors. And upon each of these segments is a star that has been carved further into the cross. And behind this cross is north stars that have been inlaid and entwined with one another. It's honestly a mess. It's not pleasing to the eye at all. But there is a formulaic nature to it. There is order to this chaos. Perception being what it is, you do pick up on the northmost section of the cross, the very same sigil that had been handed to you by Mr. C that you had to present in order to gain entry into the Ten Bells. No one stops to make a cross at this door. Robert simply approaches it. And as he approaches it, Vivamos moriendo mest. And the doors open. You're struck by the warmth of this inner chamber. The ceiling is awash with crystalline color. It's as if there are plain glass lanterns, all emulating this chromatic light shining everywhere. A large circular fireplace sits in the middle, large enough for five men to lay abreast upon. There are different tiers, each no more than about a half foot above the other, of these concentric circles all facing inwards towards a little raised dais right in front of the fireplace. Chairs are a rich, dark mahogany with plump red cushions. Bookcases line one edge of the chamber. And strange tables and alchemical components align another portion of it, but it is, at the end of the day, a circular chamber. And although it looks like this room could accommodate 30 people easily, Currently, there are only three other people, and they are engaged in a very heated conversation. They all wear these purple cloaks that are pulled up, and with the fire glow flickering, it's, it's hard to get a bead on any of the actual features, but uh, one of them levels a cane at one of these smaller figures. And he says, See here, Her Majesty has begun inquiring as to the nature of these ethics. 
If we do not figure out what is happening in the oceans, then we will not be able to maintain population control. If we cannot maintain population control, how are we supposed to feed the masses? If the masses are not fed, there will be anarchy, Britain. So unless you have an explanation, I suggest you stop whittling away on any side projects. Almost hissing at her. And she says, Lord Spedding, you were an incorrigible brat when you first joined, and I see that time has done nothing to temper your impatience. You are focusing on a symptom and not the disease itself. And um, there's a thump on the ground as uh, a man seated between the two of them slams an oaken gavel upon his chair. And he goes, Lady Britain, Lord Spetting, these are not the times nor the place for us to be at each other's throats. Now, Britain, I understand your concern, but there have been no large indications. There have been no great signs. If such events were occurring, I do believe that at least one other member would have been able to pick up on it. The doctor himself has seen no such signs. So, while your concern is noted, I will not be diverting valuable order resources to hunt for shadows in the night. I am sorry, but that is the will of the order. And he said, and the taller one says, My lord, Miss Britain is far too valuable to be even wasting her own resources. I implore you, bring her back into our fold and let her be held to the same standards as the rest of us. She is one of the few practical magicians that we have. Theoretics will only get us so far. Lord Spedding, you are standing in a chamber that was founded by Britain herself along with three others. You will give her the due respect and you will now respect my own words. That is all, my lord. You may go. Very well. But if the queen starts breathing down our necks, well, we will all know who to turn to. Ah, excuse me. Um, the only thing you do note is wisps of long blonde hair and uh, a uh, cane. Or a walking stick, I should say, because this man has no need of any prop. But the it is an onyx stick with a very familiar mechanism you see around where the hilt comes out. You recognize it right away that this is a, much like yours, a concealed weapon. Mm -hmm. Except uh, the final hilt of the walking stick itself is a, uh, it's an obsidian hawk uh, prone to flight. Very striking. Beautiful craftsmanship. And um, the man just nods to you and says, I trust that no matter the outcomes of your decision or the order's decision tonight, discretion can be counted upon. I am known for my discretion. Excellent. Good man. Good man. Consider this a down payment, and he extends his hand to you. I'll 
shake it. Great. As he pulls his hand away, you look down and you see that there are eight pounds that have been slipped into your hand. Um, I'll say, uh, uh, Lord, Spedding, Lord Spedding, you seem to have dropped this. I don't need any. Give me a straight charisma check. Twelve. Twelve? Okay. You see him kind of, as he pulls back his hood, don't know why we even bother with these things here. You're very observant, sir. And, um, if you insist. And he tucks it into his, uh, robes. He goes, ah, Calhoun, my lord. And he leaves. Uh, give me a quick history check. Surprisingly not my best. No. Oh, that's terrible. Nope. Okay. You do not recognize Lord Spedding at all. Yeah. And he leaves. Robert leans forward and goes, This is where I leave you now, sir. I will say, I thoroughly enjoyed our little trip. And you've given me much to think about. And you have given me much to think about. Mr. Calhoun. Let's just call each other again. Tea sometime. Tea. Excellent. My lords. Robert, you know very well there's no need for that here. I am but the collector, my lord. Come forward, Carl Patrick. Come forward. Um, and, uh, I'll look to, um, Miss Britton. Who has already peeled back her hood, and she looks perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Completely untouched, and she has just this very warm smile as she's looking at you. She's going, well, I would have checked in earlier, dear, but I've been a little busy these past few days. Hmm. How are things with you? Enlightening and uh, strange. Oh. Ah. What is it that um, you said? Curiouser and curiouser, correct? Yes. Excellent. Ah. My lord, I'm afraid that it is quite past my bedtime. I am not the young thing I once was. You don't fool me for a moment, Britain. And she gets this fox-like smile. She goes, yes, but it is still the excuse I'm going to use. I was saying, disappointed to not see Miss Jules. Forgot. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you'll have to forgive the snoring. We have uh, a significant other and a offspring in the room with us, and I'm not going to wake them, so enjoy the snores. Um, she comes up to you, and uh, as she puts her hands on yours, 
you see that she is still very much ringless, which mm -hmm. would make sense. And um, as she uh, leans in, she says, Cause, because we got the ring. Sorry, not ringless, we, not the ringless. Because no. we got we no, got no, the ring. Sorry, the she she, she, she the does ring. she does have a ring. There's two rings. Sorry, there. exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, but uh, you see her leaning forward, and she says, "Although I'm not sure how it will play into what we've seen, I do have a present for you." And she puts a small pouch in your hand, and she says, "Now there's dark history." But if anyone can turn shade into light, I think it would be you, Mr. Patrick. And she kind of starts to reach up her hand to touch your face. She looks at you questioningly as she starts to reach. It's not like an old woman just... Mm -hmm absently reaching. She's doing so with purpose. Okay. And as she touches your head, you see her flinch back a little bit, open her eyes, they narrow a little bit more. Are you ready to see more clearly? think so. Come find me when you know so. Good night, dear. And, uh, she begins to exit the chamber. It is now just you and the final cloaked figure in this hall. And he goes, Well, let us not stand on ceremony. And he removes his own cloak, and I do need you to go ahead and give me um, another history check. That's an 18. You do recognize him. You've seen him never in person, but you've seen him from afar quite often. Before you, um, standing at uh, five foot ten, with uh, balding, graying brown hair, with a very sharp widow's peak um, and a uh, uh, very finely formed lamb chops that come to a point right before his jaw, no mustache, and uh, piercing blue eyes. Not heavy, but approaching it in his, in his aging years. This is Lord William H. Smith. He is the Secretary of War. In the Queen's cabinet. Well. Uh, I'm going to say. It appears the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn has quite a bit of influence, does it not? And what would make you say that, Mr. Patrick? Well, to find the 
Secretary of War as one of its chief officers seems to say that this organization does more than have tea and <laughs> idle conversations about the supernatural. Well, I suppose it was a little foolish bringing you directly to our hearth if I did not anticipate that you'd be able to immediately recognize. I will say that as I do not prevalently exist in the public eye, I did count on a little bit of mystery before I revealed myself, but, well, this is why we brought you on, a discerning eye, one that seeks the truth above all else. As what we have been able to gather from your past doings, Mr. Patrick. And I found myself wondering for the longest time why a man of your talents did not apply himself to uh, Her Majesty's service, whether it be abroad or domestically, and why you yourself would not then seek a high inspectorship or perhaps taking on all of Scotland Yard yourself. And then it occurred to me a man wishes to not bear a yoke so that he has the freedom of his own successes and his own failures. You have the utmost confidence in your skills, but you do not trust those in power to properly wield your powers, save yourself. Have I missed the mark entirely, Mr. Patrick? Not at all. The mark is set and the arrow is true. Mm. That, sir, is the very essence of our order. We exist to address those concerns and those questions that we do not trust anyone else to be able to wield our knowledge. Queen Victoria herself is unaware of our existence. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a name that you have somehow already divined, is fresh in its labeling, but not in its purpose. We have existed in many incarnations across the continents for nearly a thousand years, since the fall of the Roman Empire, to be perfectly honest. But we exist here and now to locate and subvert those more nefarious energies that seem to thrush and bang directly beyond the veil of what the commoner would see as reality. In short, Mr. Patrick, we are both a first and a last line, and I would like to employ your services. What services can a private investigator give to a uh, supernatural order who deals in uh, battles of the higher and unseen nature? No, battles is far too strong a term for what we do. There has not been cause for battle or for arms in 
well over 600 years. Hmm. No, we, we will not be calling upon you to fight the devil himself or to uh, stand in the line of evil, merely to keep the general populace in the safety of ignorance. No, but to answer your question, sir, what bringing you on would provide the order with is a public reason to go beyond typical channels. You yourself, in your already tenuous relationship with Scotland Yard, have elicited certain freedoms that, not to use the term crudely, a commoner would typically not be able to do. Your sponsorship from Lords has given you freedom amongst the House of Lords, and yet, due to your own humble beginnings and your lack of propriety, you yourself are popular with the commons. You give the order a justification to exist in the light. I'm not saying you join our number now, but perhaps with some back and forth, you do something for us, we expend, expand your definition of the truth. Hmm. As it is, we are short-staffed, and we are also not able to perform as openly as we would like without drawing undue attention to ourselves. In particular, when it comes to other members of our order, we protect our own with zealotry that cannot be matched. And as it is, one of our own is missing. And I would like you to find her. Her name is Alice Liddell. She is one of the most brilliant members, is one of our most uh, popular junior members. She has not been with us very long, but she is also a legacy of sorts. Her uncle was a member of ours. Uh, you might be actually familiar with his written works. Yes, I see the years already turning. I assure you, Mr. Patrick, it is that Alice Liddell. And Carl, why don't you talk us through the conclusion that you've clearly already well, I'm, made? I'm, I remember this person. Is this... What is this? Um... Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I, I, I'm... Do you want to do a history check? I, I do. I'm trying to figure out if this is the right person. I, I, thought, I thought I'd... I thought this name made, meant something to me, but I'm not finding it in my notes. Oh, you probably have not heard it in this campaign. But you, Soren, would definitely know why this do, name. Why do I, kn I know this name? Okay, I, um, yeah, hit me with the... So go ahead and give me a yeah, history check. Come on, history. I always think of history at the wrong times. Eh. So close. It's an 11. 11? Yeah. 11 would be enough, maybe, in the context of Alice Liddell. There was another Alice 
Yes. That was made popular. Yes. Okay, there it is. By Lewis Carroll. I'm like, I'm like, I know this Liddell. Why do I know? Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's Alice. It's, uh, it's Alice. Okay. Mm-hmm. The youngest of the sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Makes sense. Yes. No, she had, uh, she had gone back to the family estate in Essex. And been an unfortunate fire, and unfortunately, Miss Liddell is now an orphan, and granted she has come into her own of a rather wealthy estate. And since her uncle's passing, she has fallen strictly into our stewardship. She shows great promise for pursuing and for concealing the greater truths and secrets of this modern world. And yet, five days ago she vanished. calendar in front of me uh today is would be the 23rd today's the 23rd so we go back to the 18th um no sorry today's the 28th so five days ago would be the 23rd (laughs) so two days after the start of our adventure Yes, St. James's Park. That's okay. So that's when we did the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll admit that it was not the initial reason that we had extended the invitation, but this has proven to be a good opportunity, as any, to employ your services, sir. Yeah. You find Miss Liddell for us, and we will show you a world worth seeing. As you said before, we have considerable influence, but more than that, we have considerable resources. Hmm. We do not know the details of your specific arrangement with Lord Ashley Cooper. However, it never hurts to line your pockets from more than one source. And we offer much more than mere wealth. I'm I'm intrigued. I I I accept. I'll look into the, this disappearance of Miss Liddell. Um, Sir uh, Lord Smith, might I ask you? Um, should a member of your order be threatened or know of? Uh, impending uh, calamity to to occur in their lives. What would you say? You look after your own. What resources would you be willing to expend to uh, prevent said calamity or to protect this person's life? Mm. You speak in. Very vague riddles, sir. I suppose it would depend on the nature of the calamity and the, not to sound callous, the worth of the person. If they are with us, they must be worthy indeed. However, all of our order do understand the risk 
to a certain extent. What we say here in his halls, we take to our grave. Of course. That being said, it goes without saying that... Well, let us not debase each other with threats. We have a perfect understanding. There's an awkward kind of mm-hmm. hesitation there. Because as to calamity, well, it's funny you should say so. We are actually in the midst of trying to address one itself. But we have considerable muster to bring forth. Hmm. Wish I could be more specific, but alas, your question lacks specificity. Well, as to the... Leviathan that is choking the uh, aquatic population here in the uh, street in our area of London. I can see that your order must have quite considerable resources to be able to face that. As to your previous statement that I'm not being asked by the order to fight the devil, um, a calamity of such uh, violent nature is incoming and uh, if you don't know about it then I don't know if that person wants you to know about it yet so I'm that's why I mean to uh, keep my side of our conversation vague and confidential give me an insight check Mm, crap tonight 17. Okay. Even taking account of your passive insight, this man is a wall. Mm-hmm. You're getting no blood from this stone. Yeah. And uh, he simply quirks his mouth a little bit and he says, Let us stick with the arrangement we have at hand. And perhaps. Further conversation can grow from a successful endeavor. Present this note to the Bank of London. That should be more than sufficient fare to get you to Essex, get you comfy, and employ a few others at your will as well as substantial bribe money. It is not uncouth to utilize as base a power as wealth. And we of the Golden Dawn utilize any resources we can. Britain speaks fondly of you and your ward. She's hardly ever been mistaken before. Do you understand that we've breached our protocol many times folded for you and I to be standing conversing here now? Do not give me cause to question her decisions. Discretion is one of my highest attributes. Very good. 
the door to the southwest shall bring you up uh, to the Queen's Barracks. Simply present your kerchief to the night guard and you will have never been there at all. It's a far more enjoyable ride from Westminster to Soho than from Whitechapel. My lord. Patrick. You exit. You follow the directions. Do you open the pouch that Britain gave, that Britain gave me? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll open it here. As you are going up the stairs, you open up the pouch and you find a little ring. It's metal, but it looks like ashen wood. Give me an arcana check or an occult check, your choice. Um, probably occult. So that's plus three, right? Is, mm -hmm. that, is that religion? That'd be religion plus, plus three. Nice. Yeah. There we go, 19. Beautiful. Um, this unbidden, you feel the energy kind of coalesce around that right eye of yours again. And as you are looking at this ring, it is awash in a very similar energy to your own. It is not the mutilated, twisted energy that was present in the doll, but it is still not quite like yours. It is more pure, and it is very, very old. You may add the wretched ring to your inventory. Yes. Wretched ring. If you can't find it, I'll go ahead and I'll put it in there for you later. Sit there and it'll work for me. Hmm. As you are exiting a broom closet in the barracks, and you take a step outside, you see you are on the doorstep of Parliament and Big Ben. You're able to get a cab that uh, has a very strange purple coloration to it. <laughs> and you are free of charge, driven back to 17 Shaftesbury Avenue in Soho. You arrive probably close to about, close to like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. As you approach the door, you notice that it is slightly ajar. Mm. Gun out. Open it slowly. Slide in. <laughs> Don't push it too far. Yep. It's not too chilly. Um, you see that there are some dying embers in the same room fireplace, as well as bags of what appear to be cookies. Okay. Sitting room is empty. Sitting room is empty. I'm gonna go into the kitchen. You see a cot. Someone in it? Yes. 
get closer. I'm, I'm assuming that this is going to be Spiker. And you'd be correct. Okay. She is breathing. Right. Um, the kitchen. So next is under the stairs. So we have Anne. You open the door. You see a figure wrapped in a blanket. It's a little dark. Okay, close. Breathing? Breathing. Okay. Gonna go up the stairs. I'm checking to make sure that... Your door is open. My door is open. Definitely be ready with something. We'll see. Um, you also do see a little bit of a glow in your room. Okay, cool. Then, um, I'm gonna put down the gun. I'm gonna put the gun away actually, because mm -hmm. now, now that I know that there's people that are safe and asleep downstairs, I don't want to make this a huge kerfuffle with a gun. But I am going to draw my cane. my cane mm -hmm. sword. Shwing. And open. you keep your hinges oiled, yeah. so there's no. Mm. You just your room has been absolutely torn apart. Honestly, the only part that's intact at all is Adolphus's tank. Adolphus is just chilling in his terrarium, and the oil lamp is next to his um, terrarium, and underneath the oil lamp, you see a folded piece of parchment. Um, so it's more trash than when I, you know... Substantially more. Dang. You see that your mattress has actually physically been cut open. Okay. Most of your drawers are completely unended. Wow. Okay. Um, your archive room, all the papers have been unbound. Great. Well, let's go to the note and see what this... feminine hand and it says my dear Mr. Patrick my blackmail for that is called what it was was born out of a concern for you and Miss Walker was never intended as a personal attack. You have made it one. Pray that you do not see me again. For if you do, it will be because 
I have found out how most to hurt Miss Walker. And you will not be around to see the results. Continue to do good. Or slip into a haze and die. I care not either way. Yours with the utmost respect, and you see utmost has been underlined. Annabelle appears. Postscriptum. It might be a little more difficult for you to slip into that haze now. Your eyes are drawn to where you typically concealed. Mm -hmm. It has also been completely upturned. The last dose of Dragon Haze, your pipe, and all other methods and means you had of distilling, preparing, injecting, smoking, all means of opium consumption are robbed. Pray that you don't see me again, Miss Lapierre's. some spot on my chaise to stretch out and go to sleep. Does it occur to you? That's the question as to who's in the cupboard. No. <laughs> no, now that I know it's it's not Anne, it goes Alright, so Butterfingers is probably down there. Gotcha. Because I don't think it would be Jewel sleeping under the stairs. But maybe it is. Yeah. Listening for Spiker, but... <coughs> your final thoughts <clears throat> as you attempt for sleep to take you? Um, my final thoughts are actually... <laughs> it's, it's so petty. But going through every potential iteration of the features of Anne's, of Annabelle's 
face and height and and frame mm -hmm. that it's like if she cuts her hair she'd look like this if she does this she'd look like that her height would be here if she did that it would be like I this it. it's it just it's just like index. it's like i will i will see her coming before she, when she thinks that she is hiding mm -hmm. and because she's like I'm, I'm gonna be your like i'll watch and know that you're not i'm like because mm -mm, i will i will see you coming before you before you think that you're ready to like be seen be seen and when that happens there's a bullet with your name on it like don't even don't even mess with me like you mm -mm. so it's like she took your drugs man. She, she took my drugs she's like threatening me like all like come on no it was yep. like this I was blackmailing you to try to stop you from doing drugs, and I stole all your drugs, and if I ever see you again, I'm going to hurt you. It was like, okay, cool. It does It does have a, a slight adolescent pettiness to it, which, if Patrick were to look outside of his own perspective, it would be a very ugly mirror. Oh, yeah. Yep. No, this is this perfect, like, you want to play ball? I'll play ball! And so, like, it's, it's terrible, but this is, like... Okay, I've, I've got... Congratulations, you have a nemesis. I've got eldritch gods that I'm, like, worrying about, and if I see you on the playground, I'm going to mess you up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, we'll come together for the next morning. Gosh. Thank you for listening to this interesting approach to our separate errands. We hope you had a spooky good time. I know I did. And there is no Sora nor Emily, so I will simply say, I'm going to Disneyland.